Yo, we are back. It's been a long hunting season. We've had a long hiatus from the podcast game, but the the band's back together. And two man band. Two man band. We're making some beats tonight. <laughs> uh, we're gonna do a Q and A. I got on the IG earlier and was like, "Yo, hit us with some questions. What do you guys want us to cover?" And so we're just gonna tackle kind of a few different questions from some peeps. Let's see. Uh, Jeff asks us. One thing I struggle with every time I'm out, I feel like I'm bringing my good camera and nothing transpires. Leave it behind, tags get folded. Have you ever struggled with this? Seems like I jinx myself by taking it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, the camera definitely feels like a jinx a lot of times. I mean, I, I've felt that plenty of times. There's obviously no correlation. No. Uh if there's it, a correlation though, it's because like if you're active if you're the one hunting and you're also trying to like photograph and film, like sometimes in my opinion, you just you just need to hunt. Mm-hmm. And that's where I like like this fall on my, my elk hunt, like I didn't take my I, I had my camera a couple times, but for the most part I just like videoed and photographed the heck out of it with my phone. Yeah. Because it was tiny, it was in my pocket, I didn't have this giant camera on my shoulder that I would impede me drawing my bow. So like that's where mm-hmm. if you're if you're hunting yourself for yourself especially bow hunting, it's pretty hard to, you know, both photograph and hunt really well yeah, at the same time. You can't draw your bow with the, yeah, with the cotton carrier. Cotton carrier. <laughs> yep. That makes it tough. Um, I think, yeah, there's a problem. There might be something to it. Like Drake's saying, I think if you're like hunting with another person and you're like, a, I'm just out shooting photos, but then the next day I took my rifle. I don't know if there's really much of a difference other than maybe two heads is better than one Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're out there hunting. Um, maybe yeah. you're just a loud photographer. If you're falling around your buddy and then, you know, you're out there with a the camera, maybe you're making too much noise. I will be a little bit critical here and say, uh, well, it depends on what you're doing, but if this, uh, individual actually wanted to like be a badass hunting photographer, they wouldn't like, you just better give up <laughs> your own personal ambition for hunting for a couple years. Yeah. Like you should just be shooting photos on hunts and not have a weapon probably 90% of the time. Yeah. If you're trying to get your start, like later on you might be able to even that out a little bit more, but I would say like, yeah, obviously you're going to miss good stuff. If you don't have a camera with you, I think that's just about every day. You don't take a camera. Yeah. There's probably something cool that happened. Yeah. Well, another thing with that though, I mean, if, if he's, or if this individual's like, if they're the one that's hunting and they're also trying to photograph, like you, you kind of got to pick one or the other if you want to do it really well. So it's like, just like you said, put the camera down, follow your buddies around, build connections with as many people as you can to follow them with the camera. And yeah. like your job is photography. Oh, yeah. Let somebody else do the hunting. Cause if you're trying to do both, like, yeah, you're going to have issues. How do you feel about showing up on a hunt? You're shooting photos. Do you take your binos or do you leave them? Well, for the past 10 years, I have, if I'm the designated photographer, I leave my binos and, um, but I pretty much always have two camera bodies on me. Yep. One on a shoulder, one on a chest harness. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, the one on the chest harness gets in place or, or takes place of my binos. Um, I did do one hunt this year, though, uh, with our buddy Brett Sang, where I ended up being kind of the spotter. 
yep. for him as he was like sneaking in on deer. And so I also had binos and it was sweet. I mean, you definitely add a lot of value to the hunt if you can also help spot game, but at the same time, like you should always be shooting. Yeah. And the one unique thing on that hunt is like when, when he would go on stocks, I, what I could shoot, like, you know, me shooting photos of him didn't really apply at that, at that point. Like I, I was shooting a lot of stuff myself and it was actually a video series. So I was like, shooting video clips of myself kind of talking what was happening. So I was still shooting a lot, but I was also playing an active role in the hunt by, by glassing. So, but I mean, if there's a guide and a client and you're the third person, like you don't need binos. Yeah. And half the time I spot stuff with my own eyeballs before anybody else does anyway. So <laughs> I always do bring a spotting scope though. Um, but I film a lot through that yeah. and I can, I can glass and help with the hunt through that as well. So I always take my binos. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend it if you are really trying to make sure that you are on top of the game as far as your photography. Yeah. Yeah. I've always lived in the world of like I hunted in front of and behind the camera. And so like I just always carried the binos. Sometimes if I was with my brother, you might get in a situation where you're trying to kill an animal and it's nice to be able to range it for that person in between <laughs> shots. You know, like you're not, sh- you're, the camera's not up to your eyeball the whole time yep. or glassing or just like being able to, if, if the need arose, you know, to be able to be helpful. Totally. Yeah. Or if you're going to sit on a knob for two hours, like you can only shoot so many photos, right? Yeah, like yeah. it might be nice to glass for 10 minutes and help out and then snap a few or yeah. whatever. For your own sanity too, especially on the longer hunts. My gosh. But I've had guys do both. And if you take your binos, just don't let them, don't let it influence you in a way that you're more part of the hunt than you are a photographer. Yep. Yeah. That's what uh, I said. And then he also asked, did you have to teach yourself to slow down to take all these shots? We always seem to be in a rush to get into stand or get over the next rise or get the meat taken care of. Uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you do have to slow down when the camera's there. Um, If you're really good and efficient, you probably don't have to slow down too much. I feel like, yep. I feel like there's hunts where if I'm just trying to document it, I really don't have to slow down my hunter a whole lot. There'll no, you're kind of ahead of the curve the whole time. Yeah. There'll be a couple, or like when I was out with Kurt the other day, like I'm literally like, he's hiking fast side hill up the hill. Like I'm on the fly, like changing my camera settings and adjusting my ND like while I'm hiking. Yep. So there's no like, Hey, hold on. Hey, I got to change my ND real quick. <laughs> you know, like I'm just like slipping and sliding and then I'm trying to shoot photos. And then on the Sony, you got to change your settings every time you go between photo and video because it's a pain in the butt. So then I want to shoot photos. Yeah. So now I'm hiking, trying to get my shutter speed high <laughs> enough and then change my ISO, my ND, like, oh. But if someone hadn't spent a lot of time doing that, like you can't do that while you're on the move. Yeah. You know, even I was stumbling around, but I can keep up. Yeah. It'd be like a shot here or there where I'll be like, hey, that just happened and I missed it. Can you like either do it again, like go back five feet, you know, type of deal. Like, or, oh, like they stopped glassing. It was like, hey, can you glass again just real quick? Like there'll be a couple tiny things where I have them do something for me, but other than that, they should be able to kind of be on their own pace. Ideally, I don't think you try to alter them that much. 
because then they're really doing what they'd be doing. Yeah, yeah. One thing, like when you do get an animal down, like obviously that's a kind of the the, the high point of of any hunt in in a lot of ways. And it's like I would say, I mean, you know, if you've been on a lot of hunts, if you've cut up a lot. <coughs> excuse me, if you've cut up a lot of game, like you kind of know there's like, there's a time period of which like if, if yeah. you sh- probably shouldn't be st- shooting photos for more than an hour. Mm-hmm. If you go over an hour, like then you're going to start running into potential issues of losing oh, yeah. meat. Pro- probably not, but like, you know, take care of the meat. That's, that's number one. Yeah. But when cool things happen, like, yeah, you got to slow down. And like everybody who's on the hunt needs to understand like, Hey, like we're in this together to try to get really badass photos. Yeah. Like, if we get an animal, like, oh, geez, we're not in a hurry anymore. We still need to take care of the meat and do the pack out or whatever that may entail. But, like, of all times, you shouldn't feel bad about having to slow that down yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think there's about – it depends on what time of the year. But, like, during rifle season, if it's cooler, even after about 45 minutes, I'm starting to, like, be like, all right, like, yeah. got to bust the knives out. like. There's yep. no more trying to like get shots or like, cause sometimes if you're trying to like set up certain shots, it takes five minutes to get that one shot set up potentially. Yep. If the animal's bloody and you got to position them and yep. do this and try that and the set, you know what I mean? Like, so it can definitely, you can burn up your time pretty quick, which totally. is like have a good plan, especially if you're a photographer, like you should have an idea of what you want to shoot. Yep. Like anim- we're going out to kill an animal. If we kill one. Yeah. What do I want to do? You know, if you've done a lot of them, you probably don't need to tell yourself that. But if you haven't. Yeah. It could like, be overwhelming. You're like, oh, crap. We got an animal. Like, oh, now what? Yeah. Like, I, I, I've, I've felt that before. I, I get it. So. Yeah. yeah. But. Like I've had say, some elk where it was like, we took photos for 30 minutes and I was like, all right, like, let's get it. Because we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to get back to the truck at 4 a.m. I want to get back to the truck at 3 a.m. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was a good question. A lot of people have asked about lighting, uh, which I never use any kind of lighting. I don't use a flash. I don't uh, use anything during the day. One person did have a question that I think we both can touch on about how we light photos at night, like field photos which pretty much just be a trophy photo for the most part. Um, I just use a headlamp or two. Yep. Uh, the Phoenix headlamp that I think Drake and I both run yep. is crazy bright. Yeah. Like it's almost too bright. Yeah. You, you have to like move it back or like <laughs> dim it down. But I mean, I don't if you know, got two you headlamps. Absolutely. So, I mean, sometimes leaving a headlamp on the subject or like on the, if, if the person's in it, leave a headlamp on them and then get another one that I've never, I rarely do direct light. I never shine the light directly at the person that's like in line with my camera lens. Yeah. I always put the light off to the side. Sometimes I'll put the light actually behind the hunter. And mm-hmm. so you just kind of get this like these little beams of light or like reflecting off of the antler. Yeah. So it's kind of this like black and whitish looking photo and there's these little strips of light coming in be- because you backlit it with your headlamp. Yeah. Um, and those, I, I love shooting like trophy type stuff at night because mm-hmm. it's so different and it's like, yeah, you get to do some wild stuff with lighting. Yeah. It's sweet. I shot a pretty sweet photo this year of an elk that was in a meadow and we had two of those headlamps and I used one that was like the primary light source that lit it up and then I hit one. 
I set up another one the other way that was a lot dimmer. But just like you did when you backlit someone, yep. it basically gave a white edge to like all the tines. Cool. Now on both sides versus just the one side. And then of course it's night, so everything in the background is so just just black. Yep. So it's like a pretty not iconic in the sense of like, oh dude, that's one of the best photos of all time, but like iconic of like really clean and just like bold. Yep. Yeah, you know, bold, it's yeah. literally just the animal lit up in black, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, not everyone that you hunt with would have a super powerful headlamp. But so they I'd should. They should. I would should incur- suggest. There's no reason. I feel like it's just like I, I have a suppressor on my rifle. There's no reason you shouldn't have a suppressor other than they're very expensive and it's pain in the ass. But in an ideal world, you wouldn't. <laughs> everybody would have one. But a bright headlamp is but not. But a bright headlamp is something that everybody should have. Yeah. And what about when things go bump in the night? You want to be able to light. Well, yeah, we go through up. grizz country all the time. It's like, a, it's great if I'm in grizz country to bump it up, and it's literally as bright as like my truck headlight. Yeah. Like Those boom. Phoenix lights are they're 900 lumens. Yeah. Which is like a spotlight. Yeah. The, the specific model, and I'm, I'm sure they've got a newer model because I've had this my headlamp for probably four years, but it's a it's a Phoenix that's F E N I X H L 60R. It's the best headlamp ever. Don't best. let anyone tell you otherwise. I've I shot l- vlogs on this. I've done Instagram posts. I love this thing. I'm not sponsored in any way. No, neither of us are. But I bought two of them just for content trips for Stone Glacier. Wow. Like, so I give my hunter huh. a headlamp. Do I get a commission? <laughs> you should. <laughs> I bet they've sold some headlamps. Uh, uh, nice. I mean, basically what we're doing with headlamps is the exact same thing you would, same thing you would do with a flash. Yeah. And so, you know. You hit two birds with one stone. Don't don't bring a flash. Uh, you can still bring a flash. I I'm very unversed, unskilled with a flash. I've used one a little bit, but mm-hmm. like the stuff I was able to do with a flash, I was basically able to do this exact same thing with a headlamp. Yeah, especially that Phoenix because it's so dang bright. Yeah, I mean I can light. I can like add fill light in on like daylight scenes. Oh yeah, with that light for so. sure. I never do any lighting during the day. You don't you really could. need to add fill light. You could. You can edit it, dude. Like, I know. Editing you is so powerful. These freaking cameras are so insane. Like, you yeah. don't, a little touch of fill light. Like, no. like, yeah, if it's a black subject and you need to light up there, if it's dark, I, of course you need to light them. But like, yeah, you don't need fill light on. It's like, bro, we're not in the studio. Yeah. Dude, you want to, you want to use some lights? Go in the studio, dude. Freaking, <laughs> that's all it is, is lighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out here in the field, it's just the camera. Uh, at night you should got a light, but yeah, I always, on any of the shoots I go on, I make sure my hunter has a dope headlamp or I give him one Yeah, and I make sure they're charged and all that good stuff. But it's like, A, I know that headlamp's going to be bright if we need it. And then B, as far as filming, you want your hunter to have an LED headlamp because it does not flicker. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think about that. Huh? Cause I hate it when you see night video and it's got that like banding yeah and it's because like the light is flickering it's not it's intermittent pulsing yeah that's making the light your eye can't perceive it but the camera picks it up yeah it's so annoying and so you don't want that because that's just distracting for your viewer you want like a nice clean shot at night so that's why i have two of them on hand yeah that's smart Hmm. and then it's like hey you should use this headlamp or like if they don't really want to I'll at least carry it for the limited situations that I would need them yep. to use it. I've had a lot of hunting partners that over the years that have forgotten their headlamp or they go to turn the headlamp on and it's dead. 
Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I always have a spare. Ma- most people appreciate it once they've used it too. Totally. Phoenix should give us a code. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, hey, y'all. What precautions do you take? With camera gear while transitioning from outdoor to indoor. <laughs> That's how I would assume they would say it. They probably wouldn't, but uh, do you do anything, Drake, for temperatures pertaining to condensation? Uh, do not take the lens off of the body because then you'll get condensation on the inside and then you're royally screwed. You mean like take it off and like leave it off? Um, or just don't switch lenses? Well, like... If you're coming from outside, it's super cold, and you come inside like a, a tent, like a warm tent, and it's like super, like like uh, there's a lot of moisture in there. Yep. I mean, you could just go outside, inside. As soon as you come inside, you're gonna have condensation. Yeah. But it's gonna be on the outside of your entire camera, and it might be kind of hard to get rid of. But one thing you should not do is you should not pull off the, the lens because then condensation will form on your sensor. It'll form inside. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I do it anyway because I need to change lenses and I need to do something. And then I oh, like, I'm always changing lenses out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's one it. of those like do as I say, not as I do. But but if you know if if you're getting, if you feel like you need to pull it off, like go for it. But realize yeah. that I would suggest having a, one of those little air puffers, and like you might get condensation on your sensor. And if you do, you just whip that camera off and squeeze, you know, blow air on it quick. That but, would be burly if you got condensation on your sensor. That, that happens to me. Dang, yeah. dude. I've never even gotten You're not close enough. to that. Now I feel like I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's How only, is that environment created where there would be enough moisture inside of your camera body to condense on the sensor? Well, it's when you're shooting in like southeast Alaska and it's raining ah, like 10 okay, inches an hour. And then you run inside. unique circumstances. You jump on the boat and go inside <laughs> and it's like a heated thing and there's still the same amount of yeah. moisture in the air. Yeah. I try to never... <laughs> put my camera into a warm area like the truck or the inside of my tent yeah if it's really drastic yeah i'll oh i always leave my camera outside the tent at night yeah in the vestibule like on top of my pack yeah yeah oh yeah i'll do the same thing i'll throw it right inside my backpack so frost doesn't get on it and yeah. stuff so and then like when i get to the truck like let's say we just packed out or something like do not put your camera in that truck as soon as you guys get in there or like the truck turns on if it's really cold or use a lens like i would never switch a lens it's like if it's cold out and your camera's cold and your lens is cold i wouldn't go grab like a nice warm lens out of somewhere else. like just try not to just avoid drastic changes yeah temperature humidity like it's not it's not too tough no no and bring something to clean your lens with <laughs> if you're a photographer you need to have something on you to clean your lens i there's been too many times there's just been too many times this year where i've gotten photos or video where the photographer paid zero attention to what was on their lens or their sensor yeah i see that a lot with a lot of pro i'll be like dude how how long dude you literally went for like two hours of filming with literally shit all over your lens, you can blatantly see it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll like I went out because I was in front of the camera for some hunts, and I, I obviously I'm a photographer too, so I pay attention to what they're doing, and I'll look at a camera, and be like, dude, cl- you got something to clean your lens, bro? Like, <laughs> look at look at that. I feel like a six year old just got a hold of your camera. Oh, dude, it doesn't affect the image quality. I'm like. Pfft. 
clean it anyways, bud, because it does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in video, like I'm sure you notice it too. But like any spots you have on your sensor, like you'll notice oh, yeah. those immediately. Go film a blue sky, and all of a sudden there's a black dot up there. Hate it. And you can't clone that out. It's my biggest pet peeve of all things is dust spots on video <sighs> and photos. Photos so, is easy to get rid of dust spots, especially, but video yeah. is very hard. Hey, anyway. So keep your stuff clean. Uh, let's see. Shooting wildlife in low light, is it better to bump up ISO to keep the shutter speed up, shoot a little underexposed, or slow shutter speed and hope they don't move? What do you mm, think, Drake? Depends on what the animal's doing. If he's just standing there looking, then you could probably slow your shutter down. Depends on the body, too. I, so I have an a Sony a7S III, and the ISO capabilities in photo and video are absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. Dude, I can shoot like 80,000. ISO yeah. on that thing, and I, you can't even tell. Yeah, it's nuts. I know. So, so it's it's it's. It, I would say it's dependent on what the animal's doing. If the animal's like dead frozen and just giving you one of those five minute stares, then yeah, slow the shutter down. But I, I, I feel like most of the time the answer is crank the ISO up. Yeah, you're more gonna more likely get a shot in. It's not fuzzy. Shoot the shutter as slow as you feel like you can. And just think about shutter speed first, and then I adjust all my other settings around that. Yeah. I'd rather see a little more grain and have a tack sharp image than like no grain, and it's like. They're all fuzzy. Slightly fuzzy because your shutter speed wasn't fast enough. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Shoot a wide angle. That'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> Not very good for wildlife. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're zoomed in at 600 millimeters, like, I mean, they actually they make a chart that that's basically like the. the if you're doing handheld photos, it's like the slowest mm. shutter speed that you can go while st and still get tack sharp handheld photos. Depends on how good you are. It depends it how, <laughs> yeah, if you're shaky, if you're nervous, you know, this, this chart doesn't apply, but obviously take that into account. Cause like if you're shooting a really wide angle lens, it's, it's a lot easier to handhold that. And you know, you can shoot it at one thirtieth of a second and probably get a tack sharp, Im sharp image if you're holding still. But if you're shooting at 400 millimeters, you know, one thirtieth of a second. It, it's like you oh, could yeah. you could move a millimeter and it would be huge. It would be a huge oh, fuzzy yeah. mess. Maybe so. it'd be it'd be art, dude. <laughs> if you turned it black and white, just press the V key in Lightroom mm, and just bump totally. your contrast. Like hashtag art. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Andrew wants to know how do you get emotion and drama in a photo versus just getting the shot. I don't quite know what that means, but. Well, Getting emotion, emotion and drama in a photo is like finding the most pivotal moments and making sure your camera documented them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, emotion is like, th I don't know, I just think of human emotion. Especially, okay, I, I suppose there's maybe two types of photography here or subject matter. You got your human and then you've got everything else. It's like when you're shooting humans, like if you want to capture emotion, like I would say focus on people's faces during those emotional times the highs and lows of the hunts um if they just missed if they're colder than snot yeah if they just got out of a warm truck and it's like freezing and there's a bunch of um uh you know, condensation foaming up on their glasses like yeah. shoot that like that's emotional as, as a viewer you look at that and you're like wow like i can relate and especially if you can see someone's face like viewers really connect with pictures where you can see somebody's face yeah. and if they're smiling laughing crying whatever you know yep capture that 
then there's this then there's the other side like okay well if you're shooting wildlife if you're shooting just like sceneries you know emotion can be interpreted in a lot of ways in that instance but like you know shoot a really foggy creepy morning and mm-hmm. with kind of some trees against you know a white fog like that's yeah. that some people would describe that as an emotional photo yeah it's dark and eerie so just think about that yeah hope y'all enjoyed that Drake dropping knowledge. Don't you, you got some questions over there? Don't you, Drake? I do. Yeah, actually, uh, one of our students, Nathan Carruthers, sent over a bunch of questions. So I'll, I'll just buzz through a couple of these. Um, the first one's a gear question: Is it worth upgrading from a twenty-four to seventy f four to the twenty-four to seventy f two point eight? Yes. Why so in a hunting? Uh, situation because hunting often ha- occurs when light is minimal and it's pretty crazy how much extra light it is from f4 to f2.8 sometimes when you really want to shoot a shot totally yeah yeah when i first went out on my own i first one eh, was the first ones i got but it, one of them it was a 16 to 35 f4 and it had is in it so image stabilization it yeah. was a really awesome lens it was especially cool for wide angle, just like video shots, because everything, this was before image stabilization was in bodies. Mm-hmm. Cause like I was able to do some cool video clips with it, just like smooth handheld. But the photos, I mean, man, like it was very limiting on what I could do. Mm-hmm. And you, like l- cool light happens when it's dimmer anyway. Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't able to really shoot in, in that lower light. And you know, back, back then I was also shooting like a Canon 6D, which, ISO's performance, you probably shouldn't bump that over ISO 800. Yeah. But either way, absolutely. Buy the best you can afford. I would say always get lowest aperture lenses that you can. Yeah. Um, they're just going to allow you to do a heck of a lot more and, and shoot photos in really unique lighting. Uh, or just carry a prime and roll the prime until there's enough light. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't zoom the prime. Can't zoom a prime. Um, all right. Another question. Uh, business question. Is this the appropriate time to start reaching out to brands and discussing ideas for fall 2021? So right now it's, uh, early December. Uh, yeah, it's time. I mean, we're already planning and signing photographers at Stone Glacier. We just signed a contract today. Yep. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Most, I mean, a lot of businesses establish their budgets. Yeah. You know, January one, their budgets are in place. So like Lyle and I already have been over the last month have already been making some decisions for next year so sweet i mean literally i have a big meeting on wednesday to outline some things for 2021 that will pretty much allow lyle and us lyle and myself and another person or two to to plan pretty much cool the majority of our content for next year and how we want to use our photographers and who and what always have a little bit extra you know, flexibility, but yeah, I mean, the sooner the better. Totally. It's a relationship. It's not just a contract. Yeah. It's not just like getting paid. It's like, it's a relationship. So question I for mean, you. So when you guys are establishing maybe what you're doing next year, like you said, there's obviously some flexibility because things come up, issues happen, whatever. Um, how are you structuring your photographers right now as far as what they will be doing? Are you basing that off of the products that you're going to be launching next year or like product stories you're trying to um, 
make or kind of what's what's the the concept for putting these photographers to work uh, other than just go shoot random photos well we'll try to like establish each hunt you know we'll try to establish what hunts we're going to go on which will hopefully align with the products that we're going to be needing to build content around which will mostly be upcoming new products as well as existing stuff. But yeah, so that's why we're going to have a product meeting to make those final determinations, which I then plan all my product around. I plan all my content around the product. I see. Cool. It's like at the end of the day, like your business sells product. Yeah. So like that should be, (laughs) people need to remember that. That's the foundation (laughs) of what we do. Yeah. It doesn't have to be boring, but it's like, let's go on the hunts that make sense. Like if we have a lightweight pant or a really heavy pant, like those are two totally different hunts, you know? So maybe we should focus on X, Y, Z. Once we establish the majority of our hunts, some of our photographers will get some input on what those are like a couple of the guys that will have a little bit larger contracts or we work more with or just have had a longer relationship with you know i like to try to leave some creative freedom with those guys and loop them in on what they're doing but for the most part i just try to like send people on trips that would you know that they're well fitted for yep there's certain hunts that are crazy physically demanding that not all my photographers are going to be equal yeah. in that capacity. There's guys that are much better at video. Uh, there's guys that are going to fit with the personality of some of our hunters, yeah. you know, like someone is either going to be really outgoing and upbeat or someone might be kind of very reclusive and quiet. And so sometimes if it's just, a hunter and a photographer trying to match those people up will fit. Some of it's just working around schedules, but yeah, I'd say the more boxes you can check, you know, the higher likelihood that you're going to be doing more things for us. Totally. totally. If you're in shape, you can shoot great stills. You're willing to shoot video and you want to work hard. Like, okay, what else do I need from you? Like, that's it. It's really (laughs) like (laughs) you checked most of the boxes. We we were talking before the podcast about, you know, the, the, the client photographer relationship, whatever. And it's kind of one thing that came up was like people that are really easy to work with is mm-hmm. like, and, and hardworking is huge. Yeah. And I remember, I think that was like the first year I went out on my own. Um, I did a project with Jason Matzinger. I was just photographing and filming him and helping him with a, a bear hunting video. And, uh, we were just whatever talking about business, talking about life. And he's like, um, being able, being easy to work with and over delivering, for, for him, he's like, that's the biggest thing you can yeah. do. Like, you, you don't have to produce, like, the most high-quality, epic stuff ever. But if you're really easy to work with and you over-deliver constantly, you know, you're always going to get repeat business. Not always, but, like, generally speaking, like, basically manage that relationship and, like, be yeah. be really good in that relationship. And that, that's that's huge. So, and so, I mean, that, yeah, his what, what he said with me is really, um, what, what he said to me is really stuck with me in that. I mean, pretty much every time I'm delivering anything, I really, really try to over-deliver. Yeah. If it's 10 photos, I'll give them 50, as long as they're not crappy. It's like, no, I, I want to over-deliver. And in, in the long run, like, that's created, that's that's allowed certain contracts to grow. It's allowed contracts to maintain while a bunch of other people lost them. Mm-hmm. And I've had the clients say, like, well, it's because you always are, you're always so easy to work with and you over-deliver. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the, the year that I over-delivered, maybe I didn't get paid for over delivering, mm-hmm. but like 
a year later, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to work with you again. We're, yeah. we're actually dropping all these other people, and we're working with you because you over-delivered. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm glad I over-delivered. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. I always just have the personal thing. I always wanted to over-deliver just because, like, y- you're always in the right, even if someone doesn't like your work. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. went beyond what the expectation was. Uh Fortunately, people always like the work, but I'm just saying I feel like that's always just a positive, big positive whenever you do more than what you said you were going to do. But um, one, one thing on that, too, like when you're delivering photos, like whatever, say you have a photo contract and say like as part of whatever, say it's, say it's, say it's, say it's one project and say you have 50 photo deliverables, right? Let's, let's reduce that. Say you have 10 photo deliverables. It's like, okay, you have no idea. I mean – you're connected with the brand, so you, you should have a good communication with them and know kind of what their what their product launches are. So you should be able to like cater those ten photos towards probably what they're going to use. But at the same time, like, geez, if you shot, I mean, you know, when I'm shooting a lot, I'm shooting a thousand photos a day. Oh, yeah. So to deliver ten photos, even from a one day shoot, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm going to deliver like all yeah. the selects because, yeah. like, I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't know what they're going to want. You know, I'm gonna. Or, or it's they like, don't know what they want. If totally. they're only asking for ten photos. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. No, they should. And the other thing I do is like I just kind of out of common courtesy and, and part of over delivering is like, if my photo deliverable is like five photos, so I have a couple of different retainers where it's like, yeah, five photos a month. I'm like, hey, well, I'll do my best to cater these towards what I think the brand would like, mm-hmm. but then I also give them full access to my entire image library, and I'm like, look, guys, like. I'm going to provide you five photos, but I have no idea what, what yeah. you're really after. So, like, here's a link to everything I've ever shot. Yeah. If you want to swap any of these, just let me know. We'll talk. And, you know, if they, and they, they do that all the time, and they, they love that. Yeah. But we've never really had that in the contract. Yeah. And so, but I think it's a no-brainer. And I, I think from the brand standpoint, too, like, I think you're silly if you're, if you're the one at the brand and not wanting yeah. everything or at least all the selects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they definitely don't know what they want most of the time if they don't want a lot of photos. The part about over-delivering, though, that we just kind of were getting into, I feel like, was just the how easy you are to work with, too. Yeah. I mean, people, if you think about it, like, like my job is very busy. And if I don't have to spend an extra hour or two on every photo shoot i send a photographer for whatever that reason may be mm-hmm. like i just like working with the most streamlined professional dudes yeah like when i ask them for their invoices they send them to me yeah and they're all there and they're correct yeah and it's all one time not like uh, hey can i get an invoice from you hey oh yeah the address is wrong you know what i mean like <laughs> it's not there's little things that are just so easy that people don't maybe don't re- realize make a big difference Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, you still have to shoot good photos and whatnot, but those little things do add up to where it's like, man, if you make my job easier, why wouldn't I want to work with you? Yep. Like, I think everybody wants their job to be easier. <laughs> like, that's human nature. Totally. I mean, we, yeah, if you're an, if you're, um, you know, if you're hiring an employee, it's like you're hiring them to make your job easier, to offload some work to yeah. them. You shouldn't have to hire somebody to then give you more of a headache. Sometimes it yeah. starts that way, yeah. but then you foster, you manage that relationship, and then it turns out awesome. And you, like the photographer that, like, when I'm like, "Hey, I want you to go on the shoot," and they're like, "Yo, dude, like, what? Okay, what product? New products are they going to be wearing?" And I'm like, X, Y, Z, 
And like a day later, they're like, hey, man, I just thought of like all these shots that I think would be sick for the freaking new product. Like, what do you think? I'd be like, <laughs> can we hire this person? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's, I mean, all most of our guys and most people I feel like I would probably trust to get those shots. But like, you know, if I didn't give direction to my photographers, there would be a lot less value in the end. And, like, there'd be so much more value if those photographers were, like, invested in that process or, like, excited. Totally. That's another – brings up another good point. Like, when you are reaching out to brands, like, pitch them really cool ideas. I mean, yeah. like, like tr- literally, when you first reach out, don't just be like, hey, like, it would be great to work together because, like, you're not getting a response. But yeah. if you pitch them something that they can't ignore, or they're like, holy crap, this guy really understands our brand. Or maybe he mm-hmm. doesn't. Like, oh, but this guy's, like, totally willing to put in the, the time and effort to try to yeah. figure out what we want. Like, do that. Like, I, I get hit up all the time about internships and blah, blah, blah. And, like, everybody's just like, oh, hey, like, I really want to learn from you so I can go out and do my own thing. And I'm like, cool. Like, I want to I wanna help people. But, like, how are you helping me? Yeah. Like, the, when you reach out like that, you're just, you're just taking time away from me when it's like, I got business to do, man. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. have time to just teach give somebody you and give you everything. It's like, what's, what's there, there's gotta be a, a, a yeah. transaction happening or just well, a value exchange. Right. Yeah. So yeah, don't just reach out and be like, and that, that was, that was actually a, a question. I don't think Nathan sent it, but, but somebody sent it. It's like, Hey, like what's a, what's a good way to reach out to somebody, whether you're trying yeah. to do work for them or you're, or you're trying to get an internship. It's like, figure out what, what, what's something that's very valuable that you can yeah. provide to them. Yeah, definitely don't reach out and just say, hey, I would love to shoot for you because that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, reach out and sound educated about their brand and what you think they might need. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or how, like, hey, I'm going on this really cool trip. Here's how I think it could be valuable to you and your brand if I shot photos. Not just like, yo, I think I can get some sick backpack photos. (laughs) It's like, we don't need sick backpack photos. Yeah. Like, there's a reason behind the photos that we need. Yeah. Like I need 5,900 photos because we're going to, you know, promote those in December for a holiday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's <laughs> like to have a comprehension of some business will definitely improve your odds of landing jobs as a photographer or even just your willingness. Yeah. Like you can just ask the right questions. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm going on this sweet trip. It seems like some of the products would be a fit. I don't know what your plans are. I think I could bring value to you guys. Would love to talk to you more about it. Yeah. And then backing it up with with work along yeah. those lines. Like, I think probably because I'm in this role with the hunting photographer, I've definitely given a few guys kind of probably the, I don't know what the word is, but kind of gave them a little bit of a. <laughs> like upper edge kind of, yeah. Yeah, like I, I gave them a chance. Yeah. Right. Even though they didn't have very strong body work, I feel like one out of ten of those guys, like, are guys that I'm like, oh, I want to work with you more next year. Yeah. I think if you're a photographer, like, you should be willing to send someone a gallery or like a portfolio that you feel like would blow just about anyone away. Yeah. Or impress them. Because the guys that have all had a mediocre portfolio and sounded or seemed like they would be a good fit and I didn't ask much of them, kind of like just missed the boat. Yep. You know, like took photos that were like, ah, 
like you just don't get it and i don't like not everyone's in an experienced position but when you just don't get it you're just not at the level where it's valuable to the brand yet right yeah like you need to go have a few more like (laughs) yeah experiences as a photographer yeah totally so i mean even just having like small little clients is a great way to like learn some of that stuff totally and if you don't have anything like go out and do a passion project mm-hmm. like use that as your standalone body of work like hey here's what i've done mm-hmm. i'm pretty new to it but like here's what i did the last two years yeah i remember uh tony bynum i think i listened to a podcast with him like like six years ago and uh so he's a professional photographer out of montana mainly wildlife he does some hunting stuff but anyway he was saying he's like his advice to people that were just getting into it was like if you don't have a good portfolio don't even start like and yeah. portfolio can be, ident- you know, Instagram is kind of today's portfolio, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people at brands are, like, if I hear somebody, I'm like, oh, who the heck's this guy? Like, I click on him. Or if they reach out via email, I'm like, I go to their Instagram, I click on him, I look at that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, his advice was, like, go spend five years perfecting your craft. And, like, in, in, if it's hunting photography, it's, like, being a hunting photographer, put down the rifle, just, like, go yeah. hardcore with the camera for five years, build up a really badass body of work. So that when you build a portfolio, like you're going to blow people's minds yeah. and then pursue. Obviously, like if you need to make money, like there's, there's other factors that play into that, but sure. that's where hard work comes into play. It's like, you got right. time, you can make time. Dude, in one month, you could have a banger portfolio. Oh, Jesus. One hard month. <laughs> yeah. If you knew your way around a camera and gave it your all for one month. Yeah. And you were a good people person and you built connections to then go with buddies yeah. and photograph what they're doing. That's half the battle too. I think a lot of people are, I, myself, I'm, I'm very introverted. And so it's, it's more challenging to, it's, it, it's hard to reach out mm-hmm. to people. I, I do it cause it's required. And I, yeah. but like five years ago I was terrible at it, yeah. but now I'm like way better about reaching yeah. out and like b- building things, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, back to some of the questions people are asking about like, Oh, like do I hunt? Do I photograph? Like, how do I document my own hunt? Well, it's like, well, honestly, like, yeah, you can document your own hunt decently, but like, if you really want to get badass photos, yeah. like put the camera or put the rifle down, put the bow down and document somebody else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you really want to hunt, like whatever, you can still go hunt every year a little bit, but like yeah. focus on going out with buddies and building those relationships yeah. of just have a big network of people that you can go follow. Yeah. That's huge. Carry that camera though, man. Even if you don't use it, it better be on you. Totally. Oh yeah. I hate it. I always go back like the last four days of season. I went backpack hunting with my buddy Brandon and it's late season. We're packing in like water, food, all the gear. And he, he doesn't have any camera gear. I got to throw in like (laughs) multiple lenses, extra batteries, ND filters, the mic, camera body. Cause it's like, if we get back there, dude, like this is why you there's work gonna out be that. cool stuff <laughs> i know but it's like man like my body always is like do i really have to carry this <laughs> but like that was a prime example where like i'm glad i did yeah i forgot my cotton carrier because oh, no. i switched backpacks and i oh. i literally got to the trailhead the first thing that i noticed is i didn't have my cotton carrier so i was pissed about that because i was like dang it like <laughs> it's pretty cold like you can't really hold a camera in your hand all day yeah. and like glass and keep your hands warm. It's pain in the ass anyway. So now it's going to have to live in my backpack. 
and 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 then I put my backpack on. I didn't even have a buckle. I had one of two <laughs> buckles on my waist belt. This was a pack that I hadn't used all year. Like I have three different frames. Um, oh, and for whatever reason, I grabbed just a frame in my garage and put the bag. Like I built it before this hunt, and I had lent the someone else had broken a buckle on a on a hunt that oh. didn't live in bozeman and i just gave him mine off my bag and yeah. never remembered to replace it oh shit anyways i was able <laughs> to figure out a way to rig it it was kind of a good little tech tip uh on how you can do that because you could break a buckle out there totally but yeah even in those circumstances and everything i took the camera and i'm glad i did uh because he ended up shooting a really awesome old buck and I was able to actually get a lot of good footage. Like, it doesn't take that much time of pulling your camera out to get cool stuff. Yeah. Like, every morning, uh, I pulled it out when we were glassing. So, we almost started every morning glassing. And then sometimes we wouldn't move that far to a glassing knob. So, I'd just carry it mm-hmm. and shoot some photos of Brandon on the move down to the next spot. And then it might go in my pack for a few hours. We might be sitting eating a snack. might come out. At night in camp, it can come out. Anyways, I had enough content that when he spotted that buck and I was able to just, like, go full camera mode, like, I now have enough stuff there to make a whole short film. Yep. With not that much effort. And, yeah. like, it just was the fact that I got enough shots and then I had it when we found an animal. And, like, from there on, I was just a photographer, filmer. Yeah. So, Yeah. I don't remember what the real question was at this <laughs> point anymore. I'm <laughs> just going on. <laughs> uh, I don't remember either. But, but you should carry your camera. Oh, yeah. And we did yeah, a full round Yeah, you should probably that. work out. I was going to ask you, do you think you'll ever work out at all? You're, you're, our body types are kind of similar but very different. Like, you're very lean and skinny. I don't know how your body holds up. <laughs> Mine wouldn't. Well, I've been having a lot of back problems the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I uh, – I mean, the last five days, I've been getting up at 5 a.m. every day to yeah. go hike the M. It's nothing crazy, but it's like I, I spend the whole day just jamming on the computer, so yeah. it's like start your day off like that. Um, I think – whatever, this isn't a healthcare podcast, but uh, – This is important, though. This is important, though. Longevity of yeah. being able to work. So I weigh 135 pounds. I'm six <laughs> feet tall. I've tried – for the last 10 years to gain weight, I can't. I've been stuck at 135 for the last 10 years. In high school, actually, I was working out, and I was drinking a pile of protein shakes. And I, I bumped up to 155, and then all the protein shakes made me sick. And so then the doctor's like, you got to quit taking those. Yeah. And I, I like, a, it, within a week, I dropped back to 135. Oh, I can guarantee yeah. you I get you gaining weight, Dude, bro. Yeah. I'm 6'4", and I weigh, like, 205 probably right now. Yeah. But anyway – uh Core strength, like back strength is huge. So posture is a huge thing as well. I used to sleep always on my stomach. You know, I'd have my legs crossed and crisscrossed and just whatever. You know, all my, all my sheets would fall off the bed every night. So, But now I've, I've thrown my back out, I think, four or five times. And it's literally for a week. I can't – I can hardly even move. Yeah. Like I'm stuck to the floor and it's it's terrible. It's really painful. And so, yeah, posture is a huge thing. I always try to have good posture. Um I sleep with good posture now. Like I sleep with a pillow between my legs. If I sleep on my slat, my side, I don't sleep on my stomach anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy stuff like that. Just part of growing, yeah. getting older, I guess. Only thirty-one, but uh, but yeah, lower like 
core strength is a huge thing for sure. Oh, yeah. And so, cause if your back goes out, like you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happened, it's happens to me. It happens to me basically once a year, sometimes twice. Yeah. And it's, it's terrible. Like I, it's, it's impacted. I, I can't go hunting. I can't do anything. I can hardly get out of bed. Yep. So, but yeah, I'm a little different probably mentality. I'm more on like the meathead side of things. <laughs> I kind of view hunting from a, like a more performance athletic standpoint. And that's also my body type. Like if I don't work out, I have more aches and pains and issues in my joints. Like yeah, the I muscles see. I feel like support your joints. Yeah. And they also give you like strength. Core strength is big, but like I've been, so I had my back really sucked maybe four years ago. Part of it was my mattress. Part of it was like, I was working just about every other part of my body out other than my low back. Hmm. And you just get in awkward positions, like if you're cutting up an elk yeah. or a deer. And your back muscles only have so much juice in them. And when they give out, it's just like they almost don't have enough strength to withhold, like to keep from being strained. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're so weak. They're like they just succumb to strain. They're just like hanging on like, ow, now I'm strained. You're like, oh. <laughs> uh, so like. It's been pretty crazy. And my buddy had low back issues. Like I've just spent so much more time, like strengthening my low back, even though it's a slow process, you know, like literally doing like just a deadlift with like a 20 pound or 40 pound weight, you know, like people deadlift crazy weight, but like even just small things, just starting small. I mean, I don't know. It helped me and everybody's different, but I just feel like, if you look at most people that have long-term longevity in sports, like they took some tort type of physical like regiment, yep. whether that was a more like organic, like less of a gym type setting or like actually worked out in the gym. I mean, what we're doing in the mountains, although it's not necessarily like athletic in the sense of like fast movements or competing with another human, like it's still like, requires a lot of like physical performance yeah in a day after day scenario lightweight to heavyweight to packing the elk out to side hill and to balance to core strength to slipping and sliding and catching yourself and not getting injured so it's like i i i mean yes it's an extra time investment but i just don't see why people wouldn't totally at it's least do some limited things to strengthen their body yeah yeah absolutely yeah no i'm i mean so my body type i mean i've well, not necessarily my body type, but my lifestyle. Like, I mean, tomorrow I'm yeah. planning to go hike this, uh, hike 5,000 vertical feet up this mountain with my yeah. girlfriend. And it's whatever, it's December. I don't even know what today is or tomorrow is December 8th, 8th or something. Yeah. So it's like I'm always doing stuff like that. I'm just yeah. like, I'm always out. So in the winter, I'm usually skiing. Like, I used to ski 100 days a year. And then in the spring, and then I like shed hunt for like, three straight months and mm -hmm. then you know then it's summer scouting then it's fall hunting so i'm just like i'm always active always moving but along with that it's kind of caught up with me into where i haven't built up any like uh, other than just being super physically capable in the mountains like yeah i don't have that much like core strength per se yeah. and so whereas i'm having issues now so the other thing i'm doing uh not sponsored by these people either but uh, i take cosamin pills hmm. 
So it must've been from skiing or something, but my, my knees the last like 10 years have been really sore. Yeah. Like it would be really hard for me to like, like drop down on my knees or like if, if I was bow hunting, like you're just more stable and you're less shaky if you drop down to your knees. Sure. But I, when I would do that, my knees, it would hurt my knees so much that it was almost impossible for me to get up off the ground without like rolling over. And Dang. it was bad. And yeah, so basically like, I, I, this is actually probably a good thing with bow hunting. I don't drop down on my knees hardly ever unless I need to, to get like shoot into a shooting lane. I'll, I'll stay standing. And from a bow hunting standpoint, like you have a way more range of getting a shot or like shooting through small gaps with that. But, but the main reason I do that is because if I drop down on my knees, I don't think I'll be able to get back up. I'm stuck. I can't I'm stuck. Get up. <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so probably six months ago, I started taking these Cosamin pills. Yeah. And what's in them? It's like a glucosamine. It's just like a joint supplement. Yeah. And within 10 days. And so my kind of my baseline is like I would drop down to my knees and I'd jump back up quick mm -hmm. and I would just kind of see how it feels. And like I can do that all day long now. It doesn't nice. even like it doesn't even hurt. Yeah. And so I've yeah. So now I've like it's awesome. A lot of it is <laughs> like to some extent diet, which like I know I've in general, I feel like been a pretty I eat I eat very unhealthy because i have a high metabolism in certain regards like i eat foods that people couldn't they'd be like oh that's so unhealthy where it's like i know i'm gonna burn it yeah but the bulk of what i eat is generally pretty healthy i feel like just getting nutrition from the food that you eat help makes a huge difference too like again going back to athletes like any high level athlete has a very specific diet that ha like it's it's that he chooses he or she chooses that diet for specific reasons on like the way that their body performs and paying attention to that as a hunter is key especially when you're backpack hunting and i'm not saying there's any one right way to do it but like being thoughtful about like what i put in my body how does my body feel yeah is like a, a really good thing to be thinking about totally. and i mean if you want to document hunting you probably like being out in the woods and the mountains and you probably would like to do that for your whole life so it's kind of like it's pretty just important. good general <laughs> advice in the scope of life if anybody's interested in either reading or downloading an audiobook there's there's it's one of my favorite books it's called how not to die yeah and it's this it's a very scientific look at basically every different type of food out there and how it long term how it impacts people mm -hmm. and it also like studies certain civilizations that like whatever this civilization has never experienced, like has like the lowest heart, heart disease problems in the world. And then they, they, they do a scientific breakdown and they figure out why. And it, and it's certain things in their diet. And it, it's really cool. And it, it's, it's super unbiased. It's, they purely just look at the facts and they mm -hmm. look at the numbers and it's like a big numbers breakdown. But it's like, um, the other thing with that is, uh, in this book, they, they reference so many people that have gotten, various types of cancers or, or whatever. And they just change their diet like drastically. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of their cancers and stuff, it like reverses, like, yeah. like they just, they get healthier. It doesn't just stop the cancer. It yeah. like reverses it. And so it, it's pretty insane, but it makes sense. Like, I mean, we're eating what, two pounds of food every single day for our entire life. Mm -hmm. Like we are what we eat and like eat good. Oh yeah. It's going to impact you hugely. So oh, man, I anyway. had a big meal on Sunday <laughs> night. We're sitting here I, eating pizza. Right I now. ate. I I made dinner with my girlfriend, and I like, dude. I mean, 
You like hands, your girlfriend? No, I'm talking about no? me. I'm talking about food. I Jesus. do like my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I'm talking about right now. I just put it into context. I made a nice dinner with my girlfriend and I like the taste of beef. Like beef is the best, but I honestly I bet I buy beef steaks <laughs> five or less times a year. But man, I ate that steak and I, dude, on my stomach and like whole body didn't feel great. I don't know if it was something else, but I've thought about the beef. Mm. Dairy messes me up now. See, dude, you could put weight on because you have so much wild game at your disposal. You wouldn't have to supplement that much protein into your diet. <laughs> it's more of you just need to get night. you just need to get in a calorie excess. Well, okay, so if you eat more calories than you burn, you gain <laughs> weight, Drake. It's a simple formula. Or I just poop it out. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't have to elaborate <laughs> on that too much. So, okay, so uh, to an extent, I guess your body could yeah. get rid of it. And yeah. I mean, I feel like my body, when I get like when I'm out hunting, I don't poop that much. You like don't? I feel like it knows. Like Man. oh, we need every last nutrient from this meal. See, I'm eating too many fibrous, rich granola bars and stuff, or just kind of going to overdrive. And but. then when I get back, I'll eat a lot of food, and I just feel like a, my body just like. Yeah. runs it out the other side like nah, we don't really need that that was tasty but i will say the one the, the couple times that i do when i do gain weight it's when which is rare that i actually gain weight but i i first noticed this i did a 22 day backpack um hunt up at arctic red river outfitters in the northwest territories like gosh what year was that 2013 2014 mm-hmm. really cool <clears throat> excuse me really cool trip but probably had an 80 pound backpack the entire time we were filming with a big red camera so you have these these big red brick batteries. They're they're literally the size and weight of a brick. And yeah. I had like eight of those in my pack, and I was shooting photos and enough gear to live for 22 days, while trying to keep everything streamlined as possible. Hard. <laughs> anyway, super heavy pack, but every day. So our our calorie we we, you know, rationed out our food. So I think I think my daily intake was like 4,200 calories. And at the end of that, I stepped on a scale and I gained 10 pounds, but it was all muscle. Everybody else on the trip lost like 10 to 20 and I gained muscle, but like, and I could see it too. Like when I take my shirt off, like you could see this like muscle definition, but it's, but I built muscle. Yeah. And surprisingly though, like I lost it all in like, oh yeah, like two or three weeks as soon as I got home. And I, but I was staying super active, like it was summer scouting, but it's like, because I wasn't still like, you didn't have the heavyweights, didn't bro. have the heavyweights. So, um, hmm. but yeah, this morning I did a, a hike up the M and no backpack. And it's like, my gosh, you can fly. Oh, so, my goodness, right? Anyway, it felt like cheating kind of. But. I don't even know what it feels like not to have mad weight. Yeah. Everything I have is heavy. <laughs> I mean, I have good gear, but I carry an 11-pound rifle, yeah. camera gear, and I'm a big dude. Yeah. I, like, run, like, a long, wide sleeping pad. Like, like oh, yeah. everything could be trimmed down. I bet Brandon's kit versus my kit was like 12 pounds lighter. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's just the reality of mountain hunting is it's going to be heavy. Yeah. So God be able to carry the heavy weights. Suck it up. Any more good questions or are we going to Let's uh there, there's ax it. there's well we've we've gone down a quite the interesting trail here but mm-hmm. uh this one's pretty good, and I don't, I don't have an answer for this, but it, it definitely raises some interesting questions. So it's, uh, how do you anticipate the ongoing slash lingering effects of COVID, and, and like how will it impact marketing strategies in the next year or so? 
are brands more likely to spread their budget around to buffer against canceled projects or like what maybe maybe you working at Stone Glacier like kind of do you guys have kind of a a plan in place regarding COVID and maybe what will happen to stuff next year or or are you guys doing most stuff in lower 48 to where it wouldn't potentially have cancellation issues like like in, like international travel I mean we're business as usual at Stone Glacier which is nice um our business is impacted by it in more like shipping timelines. Yeah. Not so much anymore. But, I mean, most of us at Stone Glacier, I mean, we try to find the right balance of doing what's probably smart and what you probably should do, even though we disagree, I think, pretty unanimously across the board that COVID is a very politicized, media-driven virus. It's really not that much different from other things like a bad flu season. And yeah, but from a business perspective, it hasn't canceled or altered too much stuff for us, which is nice. Cool. I think, I mean, for businesses that it would affect more, if the marketing dollars are staying the same, they have have to market in some other capacity. I would just... Again, it just comes down to value. Where is can a brand find value? Yep. It's like, okay, if BHA isn't doing their rendezvous, they're going to have to create online rendezvous, which would involve content. You yep. know what I mean? Like, that's a super simple, I don't even know if BHA pays for that stuff or what, but, right. you know, like some brands aren't going to be able to have in-person events. They're not going to be able to do, you know, total archery challenges or I don't know what some of that s stuff looks like, but they're probably going to want to try to spend those dollars elsewhere. Yep. I don't really see it being in anything that drastically impacts anyone's business. I mean, even in the best years uh, as a freelancer, you can be low on work. Like totally. it just like ebbs and flows. So you always have to be able to adapt. Yep. So I don't feel like it's really anything that different. Yeah, totally. I will say from a, from a business standpoint, I mean, working as a freelance photographer or content creator or whatever, like a couple of the brands that I work with, they've, uh, this year, their, their like main focus is like, we need to sell product, not experiences. So there's like, there's like the bigger picture, let's sell a really cool experience and kind of like catch a big audience and be like, wow, this, this brand is really, really cool. And then, then they go down the sales funnel of like finding products. Um, some of these brands are like, hey, like we need to kind of buckle down. We need to like take take a little bit of money from the experience side of storytelling and really kind of invest it into product. Yeah. So your opportunities as a content creator don't necessarily go away. They just kind of like change from like, hey, instead of like going and photographing this really badass hunt in this cool place and blah, blah, blah. Like, hey, let's we want to shoot some like cool product like very very specific product photos where you don't have to travel to freaking mongolia or whatever yeah so i i have seen that um but just with a couple brands because some of the other brands are very experience-based um international travel obviously has been impacted like my yeah. work like i had multiple trips that got canceled due to um due to covid and international or lack of or inability of traveling internationally mm -hmm. so which Long term, I mean, that'll probably stay the same for me. It's hard to say, no, no idea. Um, so, been doing a lot more local stuff, 
-hmm. if, you know, if you are seeing an impact and you're not able to go do all these trips, it's like, sweet, do personal projects, do a passion project. Like yeah. myself, I mean, uh, I mean, I had like basically eight photo trips this year that haven't happened because of COVID. And it's like, I've, it's given me a lot of free time. It's, it's a little unsettling because it's like, oh crap, like what's next you're going to bring? Like I didn't do it. I didn't really feel like I did anything this year, but yeah. so I'm, what I'm doing is I'm taking this time and I'm, I'm doing a pile of more vlogs. So getting back into that realm. Vlog life. Vlog life. Hashtag. So <laughs> Dude, when's the last time you put out a new vlog? Um, I think it was the spring. Yeah. I did four this yeah, four from like last winter to the spring and I haven't done anything since. So how many are in the pipeline? I've got I think I've got six in the pipeline right now. Ooh, and then hot fire. There there's a couple like so with the vlogs it's kinda like whatever they can kind of be on anything right but it's like you've got like the cool experience vlogs where i go on a hunt and it's like yeah. visually stunning and then you've got some like some that are a lot more gear oriented where it's like i reference lots of old footage and stuff of like certain products that i've like used for my life um so there's kind of a, a range of vlogs but i i try to keep them super interesting and value add and entertaining and yeah i try to be funny and i don't know nice professional actor basically Heck so, yeah um but anyway so it's if you are getting impacted and you're not able to travel and not able to do whatever, like sweet, take this time to work on personal projects, like do passion project and like use that as your baseline of like, Hey, here's a cool thing I did. I took this time instead of sitting around milling around twiddling my thumbs, I took this free time and I went and did something cool. Yeah. Or just go hunt your face off. Yeah. That's, that's an option too. I kind of did that too. So value add, we want to talk about value adds. If you can piece together a 10-slide Instagram story that's on brand, whew, that's valuable to me at least. Wow. I don't know how many people have, have appreciated and been like, man, it's awesome. You guys have like little like hunts and rip clips on your Instagram story. You know, just like it's not that hard to piece together. When's the last time you saw a brand put together a little mini Instagram story on their Instagram page about a hunt? Yeah. It's like that's what people want to see. Totally. Like people want to you see do that. that. I do that. We know that. But like, it's cool to see it from a brand standpoint. Give it to the brand. Yeah. It's not that hard. <laughs> even if you don't have all of our gear to make an on brand little story totally. of a hunt. That's I, yeah. So my, my archery elk hunt this year, I don't remember how, no, I, sorry. I hunted 17 days before I killed an elk. And like every one of those days was pretty action packed. And so this is maybe an answer to the question earlier on, do I take my camera? Do I not? Is it hindrance? Whatever. I did not take my camera, but I, but I pitched that hunt as an Instagram story. I was like, Hey, I'm going to shoot a really badass Instagram story. I hunted elk out of a tree stand for like 10 days, ended up killing one on the ground and like filmed it all with my phone. Mm -hmm. I still have to edit that together, but it's like, that was the deliverable. Yeah. So it's like, okay, sweet. I don't have any photo projects. I'm going to go do a personal hunt. I know this brand I shot for on X. Um, they really wanted you know, they're, they're all about doing what you just said, which is like yeah. post hunts on, on the story. Yeah. From Onyx brand. does it. So, but other than that, you don't really see, I feel bad for the Onyx guys. They have to go on their hunts and then they share their maps. And if you really want to figure it out, you can, <laughs> <laughs> there's actually, there's a, uh, sorry, Dylan, but you gave up too much. No, the the boys, at, the boys at work figured it out. Really? No one will ever go hunt there, but like, <laughs> There's it's some guys that anytime they see that, they're like, oh, they're like a little office challenge. Who's going to find it first? Totally. <laughs> Jump on them. It is, it is entertaining. I, I, I do that stuff too, but, you know. 
I've never actually gone I'm, hunting never somewhere that. that I've figured out where somebody hunts. I've never actually done it, but yeah, but it's fun to try to figure it out. Uh, I rarely do it because I don't want to know most of the time. Because if I know someone else hunts there, I won't go there. Oh, <laughs> that's a good point. For the most part. Yeah. If it was like, hey, I've been looking at this on Onyx for two years, you know, and just didn't find the time to go or whatever, and then I find out someone else hunts it, that might yeah not fit that bill but if you like i'm like oh like so-and-so killed a big bull here this year i'm gonna be like oh that's like his zone like i'll just go find an, a different elk somewhere else i'm kind of like know? damn it that guy's already there yeah. shoot it's probably you know he's got 10 years ahead of me like it's not even worth starting try somewhere new <laughs> yeah so but yeah uh be careful what you show totally because nowadays it's crazy you can pick a lot wow. from an image. Dude, I can I can pick out the stuff. The vegetation. Exactly, the vegetation. Yeah, that gives away a lot. We'll the tell rock formations. you a lot. <laughs> Even a trophy photo, like the trees in the background. If, it, if you just show like a bush, I'm like, oh, that, whatever, mm -hmm. narrows it down significantly. Mm -hmm. I don't even like to say what state I'm in. Obviously, I do these Anyone's Hunt series, and we, we talk about what state we're in. But like yeah. past, like people ask me all the time, well, where'd you, where'd you shoot, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like. Oh, I hunt like all over and I list out five states. Yeah. Which I do actually hunt all over, but I don't even want to give anybody a puzzle piece. So, no puzzle pieces from this crew. Just go figure it There's out. There's a few out there. There always will be, but yeah. don't be that guy. Yeah. Anyway, well, that was a hell of a podcast. Is that it? I, um, yeah. Those are, That's those are it. some really good questions there. Yep. We axed it. We out.